0: Our sermon text for uh, this morning is Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. It's what we read last week as well. Uh, We'll be looking at the chapter as a whole again this week. Uh, Next week, we'll focus in on the creation of of humanity, and then the following week, we'll move on to chapter 2. Uh, But uh, before we read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, let's pray together. Our Father, we we need you. We need you so much. I need you as I as I open up your word, as I read, as I preach, as I speak, I need your grace, I need your spirit to fill me and guide me and direct me, and humble me and speak through me. Father, we need your spirit uh, to open our hearts and minds and ears and eyes that as uh, we look at your word we would see Jesus in all of his glory that we would hear uh, the gospel uh, of grace that we would have soft hearts to believe what we uh, hear and see that we would uh, repent afresh and turn to you and rest in Jesus and delight in you and Father we need your spirit for all of these things and so we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us this morning Draw us close to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Genesis uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." Well, I find order beautiful, and I find the Bible's teaching on order disturbing, Uh, but I find order itself beautiful, right? There, There is beauty in patterns, whether that is the pattern of the season or the patterns of a Turkish rug. There is beauty in seeing things come together and watching something work. There is beauty in happy endings. There is beauty in well-oiled machines. There is beauty in a well-choreographed dance. I remember, as as silly as it was, one uh, Frasier episode where they're showing a a typical morning routine and Martin and Daphne are, are getting breakfast ready in the kitchen and it was like a dance, right? She opens the fridge, she goes high and he goes low and then he goes high and she goes low. He gets the toast out of the toaster and burns his fingers and she has the plate ready to catch the off- offending bread and uh, it, it, the, the implication is this is their routine every day and there's this beauty and order to it and everything goes fine of course until something goes wrong and throws the whole routine off the next morning. Well, Maybe you can think of some orderly, patterned, routine things that you find beautiful. Uh, even a Jackson Pollock painting, right, which, which seems about as disordered as you can get has an order to it because paint splatters in certain ways and not in other ways, right? That's how you recognize it as a splatter. There is an order to literally everything and that order is good. But like I said, while I find uh, order beautiful, I find the Bible's teaching on order disturbing and that for, for really one simple reason because it loudly reminds me that I am not God. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I can neither create order nor escape it. Last week we talked about how God ordered creation through his word and spirit, and this week we're gonna talk about what that order looks like. And we're gonna look at four things, that order comes from God, that order involves limits, that order leads to life, and that order is good. So first, order comes from God. I have, uh, if I'm honest, spent a lot of my life trying to manufacture my own order, and more often than not, I fail. I want to be in control, but I'm not. I want things to go my way, but they don't. I want my plans and my agenda to rule the day, but my plans fail and by the end of the day, I rarely accomplish what I set out to do. Maybe some of you feel the same way. Uh, But the real problem is not my failure to manufacture order, but my frustration when I fail. I set out to be God and I failed. Why does that surprise me? Rather than getting frustrated when my plans are thwarted, I need to learn to rest. To rest in the sovereign God who orders all things. In the beginning, as we saw last week, the earth was without form and void. It was formless and empty, unformed and unfilled, uninhabitable and uninhabited. Not chaotic, but not ordered yet either. Not disordered, just unordered. But when we look at the creation week, what is so wonderful is seeing how God brings order, how God addresses those specific problems in his creative acts. You may be familiar uh, with the way the creation days are set up. In days one through three, God forms the formless. He takes the dark mass and creates light. He takes the shapeless sphere and separates out the sky. He takes the waters of the deep and pushes them to one side, making room for the dry land to appear. And to crown the whole, he causes the earth to bring forth vegetation. The unformed is formed. The uninhabitable becomes habitable. And then on days four through six, God fills the unfilled. He puts the sun, moon, and stars in the heavens. He puts fish in the sea and birds in the sky. He puts beasts in the field. And to crown the whole, he creates man who cultivates the land to continue its fruitful productivity. On days one through three, God is is creating habitats. And on days four through six, he is filling those habitats with inhabitants. God orders the unordered through successive creative acts and the result is the world that we know and love. And of course, what is comforting about this and what I seem to daily forget is that God is in control. He is the sovereign king ruling over all, even the darkness and the deep, which might have been read as chaotic and threatening elements in the ancient Near East, here are actually under God's sovereign control. Psalm 89 says God rules the raging sea, and the darkness too belongs to him because he names it night in verse five, demonstrating his sovereign rule even over the darkness. Other things that in the ancient Near Eastern context might have been seen as rivals to God and threats to his people are here simply part of his creation. God creates the great sea creatures in verse 21. Uh, The ESV in Psalm 74 translates this sea monster, uh, as does the song that we sang at the beginning of our service. Elsewhere, it is translated serpent. In Isaiah, it is translated the dragon that is in the sea. And and the point is the great sea creatures, right? Whatever they are, are fierce. Other cultures of that day understood creation to have come out of a great struggle with a great serpent, but not here. God has no rival. This is part of the polemic of Genesis chapter 1. Rather, in Psalm 104, which we read earlier, that uh, it, it can celebrate. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you have formed to play in it. See here, one of the great sea creatures, the Leviathan, is little more than a a rubber ducky in God's bathtub, right? He's just playing in the pond, so to speak. The point is, everything is in God's hands. The same is true with the sun, moon, and stars, right? Again, in the ancient Near East, these were worshipped as gods, but here they do not even get their proper names. Verse 16 simply calls them the greater and lesser lights, And then God gives them a job to do. Not only are they not rival gods, they are the true God's lackeys, right? They do his bidding at his command. God is the sovereign king over all. Now, so often I forget this, right? I I forget this on Friday afternoons at 2.30 when the week hasn't gone as I planned, We forget this when we find termites in the basement or get passed over for a promotion, when global pandemics happen or when elections don't go our way, when our big vacation gets canceled or we get diagnosed with cancer. Bad things happen big or small and we forget that God is in control the one who created the world and calls all the stars by name is still ruling the universe. Rather than rest in him, we either start to micromanage life or we just live in fear and despair. See, once we forget God, our only options are rely on people, whether ourselves or others, or live in fear. See, either one of us has to make things happen or I'm just waiting for everything to fall apart. And to be honest, I, I, I live in that tension, right? Forgetting God, I, I try to make things happen, but, but I'm just waiting for everything to fall apart because I know that deep down, I'm not God. I don't have what it takes. I can't order my universe. But the thing is, I don't have to, right? Scripture says all things work together for the good of those who love God. How do we know this? Well, we certainly see it in Genesis chapter one as God is ordering creation for the good of his people. But of course, we ultimately see it as we look at Jesus. Jesus lived a a perfectly righteous life, but received disorder and death for us. But the proof that all things work together, even in the hardest moments, is actually found in the resurrection. No one looking at the cross thought, this is a great idea. Uh, No one thought, this is so good for Jesus. No one thought, I'm really thankful for God's plan in this moment. Peter didn't think that. John didn't think that. Mary didn't think that. No, they looked at the cross and they thought, why God? What are you doing? Why would you let it end this way? But of course, that wasn't the end. God's plan wasn't finished yet. And out of something horrible and ugly, God brought something full of wonder and beauty, the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead, entering into a new order of things, not just new life, but a whole new way of living resurrection life which is the life that he then promises all who look to him in faith. You see, Jesus faced our disorder to bring a new order, which means as we look at the hard moments of life, we can know two things. One, that God is at work right here, right here, right now. God is ordering things according to his good purposes for me. I may feel like like Peter and John and Mary at the cross, wondering, God, what are you doing? And why is it ending this way? But the truth of the matter is god is working and i can trust him and two i can know in the midst of the hard moments of life that this isn't the end of the story there is there is a resurrection coming a new order on the last day god is at work and he will bring resurrection there is an order now that i cannot see and there is an order coming that i see in jesus and of course jesus is the pattern Uh, Of that, right? Even for our own lives, death and resurrection. It's what Paul Miller calls the J curve, right? As we die daily and experience many resurrections, right? In hope of the resurrection to come. And so rather than seek to control, I must walk in faith, knowing that we have a God who brings life out of death, order out of chaos the God who created the world and formed it and fashioned it, the God who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is the same God who is at work in our lives right here, right now, today. So first, order comes from God. Second, order involves limits. Now, I don't know about you, but I I don't like limits. Uh, the, The elders and I are reading through Paul Tripp's book on spiritual leadership called LEAD, And Thursday, we discussed chapter three, limits. And and Paul mentioned four specific limits for leaders, gifts, time, energy, and maturity. I'm not really sure that I like any of them. I expect too much from myself, rejecting the limit of giftedness. I normally don't give myself enough sleep, rejecting the limit of energy. I expect myself to be fully sanctified right now, rejecting the limits of my own maturity. But the limit that I like the least is time. I've often said that if I could have one superpower, it would be the ability to stop time. And I want to stop time so I can do all the things that I really want to do, really read all of the books that I really want to read, and then I could unpause time and kind of keep going in life. See, I don't like my limits. But, but limits through separation and distinction are actually at the heart of the created order. limits can be of various kinds, right? There are physical limits, social limits, and moral limits. Uh, You you can't be in both Philly and Champagne at the same time. Limits. You you can't be both a horse jockey and a basketball star at the same time. Limits. You, You can't both eat everything in sight and be healthy at the same time. Limits. You can't give in to every sexual desire and honor God at the same time limits. How do we see this played out in Genesis chapter one? Well, in Genesis one, we actually find all three of these different kinds of limits, physical, temporal, and moral limits put in place by God. First, you have the the obvious, the physical limits. You know, when when you clean your room, when it's really, really messy, what do you do first? Well, besides get out the snow shovel, right, You, you begin to organize, to distinguish, to make distinctions. Uh, you put the dirty laundry over here, you put the books in a pile over there, the papals, papers on the table over here. Right? Order comes as we make distinctions and separate. And, and notice the first thing that God does. Uh, well first, God says, let there be light, and there was light. But then God separates the light from the darkness. And then in verse 6, God separates the waters from the waters. And then in verse Three On day three, uh, God gathers the water into one place, allowing the dry land to appear. See, God is drawing boundaries. He's making distinctions. This is sky, and this is sea, and this is land. Psalm 74 says, you fixed all the boundaries of the earth. Then God begins to make things according to their kinds. Now, kind is not a technical term. It, it just means category or variety or, or kind, right? the way we use the word kind. And notice that the plants are made according to their kind, and the waters swarm with living creatures according to their kinds, and the sky has winged creatures according to their kind, and the earth and brings forth land animals according to their kinds. And the point is just that God makes this variety of creatures and they are distinct, each according to their kind. And we do the same kind of thing, right? We make the same kind of distinctions. We, we distinguish between basset hounds and poodles. Uh, pickup trucks and sedans, uh, you distinguish your toothbrush from your toilet brush, right? Some distinctions are more important than others. Uh, the point is, in the physical world, right, there are these separations, these objective distinctions, these limits, and when we could puzzle over this philosophically, uh, right? Where do we put things that seem to transgress boundaries, things like Twilight or El Camino's or School Bus Yellow? which I've always thought is a little more orange than yellow. Right, but but this should just teach us to make more nuanced distinctions, not make no distinctions. And and we don't wanna get too far afield or even get too philosophical, but the point is that that reality is such that distinctions, this, not that, here, not there, act as kind of physical boundaries, physical limits on life. Next, we see temporal limits. God appoints the sun, moon, and stars. Well, for what? To separate the day from the night to act as signs for seasons and for days and years. One day ends, another day begins, limits. Summer ends, autumn begins, limits. Interestingly, the word for seasons is probably referring to liturgical seasons, the liturgical seasons of the Old Covenant. You can see that in the ESV footnote, which calls it the appointed times. But whatever the case, the reality is, there are limits to this day, this week, this month, this year limits that we did not put in place limits that we cannot transcend no matter how hard we try no matter what you do this day will end at its appointed time this begins to get into genesis 1's announcement of moral limits you'll notice that the sun moon and stars uh, rule the day and the night they are given authority or dominion and it's an authority and dominion that we have yet to transgress but we see God's order imposed in other ways, right? God names things. Naming implies authority, it implies ownership. God names the light and the dark, the sky and the land and the sea. Humanity is both in and simultaneously under authority, right? They are created, verse 26, to have dominion. But then God commands them, verse 28, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the animals. Right? There, there are moral limits. Here, here God is giving humanity our job description, which we'll look at next week. But for now, just note that this circumscribes certain limits on humanity. Here's the way they are to act. And so we have these physical, temporal, and moral limits. The problem is that we don't like them, right? How often do I think there's just not enough time? Or, I wish it would not take so long to drive from here to there. Now, that doesn't happen as much here in champaign or Banner, But, you know, when you, when you live in a, a big city like Philly or Chicago or Indy, right, they, you're always driving from one place to another, and it seems like it takes forever. Or, how often have we thought, I want to do what I know I ought not do? Adam and Eve transgressed. God's moral limits, right? his moral boundaries in the beginning, and the result has been chaos. That's what happens when we break out of the moral limits God has put in place. Sin breaks God's boundaries and ignores his limits. You'll notice though that God's first act after Adam and Eve's sin was to begin to restore those boundaries by once again separating. God creates a new boundary between those who reject God and those who serve him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. See, God, God again made a separation when he called Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse one, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He was creating a new people which required a new separation. Abraham had to make a break with his past in order to move forward. Leviticus is is a book that most clearly describes this imposed separation between Israel and the nations. God says there in Leviticus 20, "'I am the Lord your God, "'who has separated you from the peoples. "'You shall therefore separate the clean beast "'from the unclean and the and the, the unclean bird from the clean. "'You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast "'or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, "'which I have set apart for you, to hold unclean. See Israel's ceremonial separation was a sign of their actual separation by God and to God. But Israel's life, as you know, it right, came to look little different from the surrounding nations, and so God took them out of the land into exile, so that they lived scattered among the nations. And yet he promised, he promised a day of restoration, a day on which he would say, Isaiah 52, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. See, Israel was once again to be separate from the nations. And this is, of course, uh, fulfilled ultimately in nothing less than the resurrection, right, where Jesus dies to this age, and rises to a whole new life. One fully distinct from the present age, as distinct as life in the womb is distinct from life in the world. And the moral implications for Christians are actually clear. Being in Christ, we are no longer a part of this world. We're no longer a part of this age, and so we are not to act like the world. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. See, we are to be separate from the lusts and the lies of this age because we are to be separated to our God. Uh, again, what, what this means is often simple to understand even if we find it challenging to live out. We are, are limited creatures and must accept our God given limits, whether physical or temporal or moral. Uh, we can't do it all and, and here I'm preaching to myself, right? We we can't be everywhere at once. We definitely can't serve God and self. We can't be Christians on Sundays and live like pagans during the week. That's not accepting the the limits, the boundaries, the separation. That's not accepting that you must be either this or that. So order comes from God, and it involves limits, but but it leads to life. Third order leads to life. We have this caricature of the organized person, right, as a tyrant, inflexible, a control freak, a dictator, a nag. The very word order may cause some of us to recoil. I mean, order, it sounds so, so bossy, so controlling, like an imposition, like a straitjacket. But on a fundamental level, order was meant to bring life. Uh, think about it, on, on the most basic level, right? If there, was, if there were no consistent laws of nature, there could be no life. If one day we breathed air and the next day we needed to breathe hydrochloric acid, right, if, if, e, uh, if one day E equals MC squared and the next day it equals MC cubed, right, life on planet Earth would be unlivable. If the laws of nature were constantly changing, if there were no order to it all. A consistent order in the universe is one of the basic fundamental requirements of human life. Now, Genesis 1 doesn't put it quite like that, of course, but it does show that God's creative order was meant to give life. I mean, just start again at the formless void, dark and deep. The fundamental problem with this is its inability to sustain life. And so God uh, gets to work bringing light on day one, essential for life as we know it. Creating breathing room on day two, again, essential for us air-breathing creatures land is created on day three, helpful so that we don't have to swim everywhere. And then, and then plants, right, which are a fundamental source of sustenance for all creatures, because even for carnivores, right, vegetables are the food that your food eats, right? So, so these things are essential to the sustenance of life on earth. And so fundamental to life on earth was God creating environments that sustain life, Not only does God create environments that sustain life, He then fills them with creatures, as we've said, and blesses those creatures to be fruitful and multiply. This was not just true of man, but of the birds and the fish as well in verse 22. God's goal was that life would flourish on earth. One implication of this, of course, is the responsibility of man, made in God's image, to preserve the life-giving nature of the environment that God had made. And yet, I want you to notice, as we move forward in Scripture, that's exactly what sin does not do. With sin came curse. The ground was cursed because of man. It it no longer produces the food in abundance as it once did. Famine is the result of sin and curse. Because of sin, creation was subjected to futility, Paul says, and is in bondage to corruption, Romans 8, 20-21. Once the moral order of creation was broken, the natural order began to break down as well. But God didn't uh, give up at that point, right? He he chose Abraham. He told him that he would multiply his offspring. He promised that his children would be fruitful. And this is exactly what happened, right? During the sojourn in Egypt, Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Note the echo there of Genesis 1.28. God is continuing to bless his people with fruitfulness. God's plan is still for the flourishing of creation and specifically the flourishing of his creatures, specifically the flourishing of his people. His plan is to restore life-giving order to the world. How does he do that? Well, of course, you'll expect me to say, through the cross and the resurrection. And that is true, right? Jesus enters into a new order in his resurrection. He becomes life-giving spirit, Paul says, so that all who look to him receive life. But specifically, the language of be fruitful and multiply is actually applied in the New Testament to the church as the gospel goes forth. We see this in the book of Acts, that as the word goes forth and multiplies, so does the church. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, "And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem." Acts 9:31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, the word of God, which is God's creative ordering power, as we saw last week, comes and breathes new life into the church as the gospel of Jesus goes forth. And of course, what what was God's desire for the church? Right, That it would fill the earth as at the beginning, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that God's desire is for the flourishing of human life, particularly life under his blessing in Christ. And so he sends out the gospel that that flourishing would happen. So first order comes from God, it involves limits, it leads to life, and fourth and finally order is good. Now we use the word good rather loosely today. Uh, in fact, I've heard people say, God's not good, he's great, uh, which just shows how little we understand goodness. Right? The, the word good in the scriptures is not good versus mediocre or good versus great, but it's it's good versus evil. The created order that God made is good. Yes, it's 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 good versus mediocre as well, right? It's it's wonderful, but it's good. And this is important because though we have transgressed God's moral order and so brought a curse on God's physical world, the world itself, even now, is still fundamentally good. Now, I keep using that word fundamentally, but but if you can't repeat the word fundamentally in a sermon on Genesis 1, right, when can you repeat it? The world is fundamentally good. God sees that 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 uh, He sees that seven times in this chapter. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good. Verse 10, about the land and the sea. God saw that it was good. Verse 12, about vegetation. God saw that it was good. Verse 18, about the sun, moon, and stars. God saw that it was good. Verse 21, about the birds and the fish. God saw that it was good. Verse 25, about the land animals. God saw that it was good. Verse 31, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good the world that God made is fundamentally good. And yet the text does not just say that it was good, but that God saw that it was good, right? He has God's approbation, his approval, his enjoyment and delight. And we too must, must approve and enjoy and delight in God's good world. There are always some who say that it is bad, right? They hear the call to separate, particularly in the church, right? They hear the call to separate and think that means be separate from the physical world, not just separate from sin. Or they equate the world with sin. But Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that God created things like marriage and food to be received with thanksgiving, for he goes on, everything God, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now what's important about that, that verse, I mean, is what it says, but also when it says it. Paul is talking after the fall, after creation was broken, after it was subjected to futility, and he still says, Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now this takes discernment, of course. We need to know what is good and what is evil. Isaiah 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right? We must be a people who knows what is good, and calls things as they are. Uh, In Philippians 1, Paul's prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, right? We must be a people approving and delighting in what is excellent and good. And so order, right, it comes from God. You can't manufacture it, you can't create it, you can't maintain it, fundamentally you must receive it and rest in the God who brings order first to creation and second to the chaos that's been caused by sin. Order involves limits. Uh, Those limits are imposed on us, right? Physical limits, temporal limits, moral limits. We must accept those limits and live in them, conforming ourselves to the limits that God has placed on us rather than transgressing those limits and seeking to conform creation to our unruly hearts. Third, order leads to life. As we live in God's order, we will generally experience the life-giving nature of God's world. When we try to break out of God-ordained order, we experience the, the dissolution of life and destruction and death. When we live in it, we experience God's blessing. Finally, God's order is good. Despite sin, God's creation is still good, as Paul says. We don't need to reject creation just because it's not what God intended in the beginning or something has gone wrong. Rather, we should try to enjoy it with thanksgiving and sanctify it through prayer. May God bless us as we rest in and are sustained by and enjoy the order God has made. As we experience the the first fruits of the resurrection life to come the new order that is ours in Christ, in the person and presence of God's spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you would help us to enjoy the order that you have brought, both in this age and in the age to come by the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of your spirit. Help us, Father, to live in delight in rest in you, the God who rules over all things, For your glory and for our good, help us to trust you, Father, and rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.